Good morning. The reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, in the Common English Bible. If you want to read along, you can turn to page 1269 in your pew Bibles. This is the reading of the Gospel. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. And he placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath day. The Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame. But all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. I love to pray for my pastor friends. It's one of my prayer lists. And because I don't know each week uh, what particular prayer concerns all of them have, I have sort of a routine I go through. I'm a routine kind of person, I must admit. So Monday, a certain sort of thing I pray for, Tuesday, etc., etc., etc. Friday, I pray that God would give each of them, and I go down the list, give them a message that will bless their people, a message that must be preached. You know, we all don't preach great sermons all the time. Nobody preaches a great sermon every time. But we can all have, every preacher can have a great message. Do you understand what I'm saying there? A kind of truth that just must be shared. So that's my prayer on Friday. Lord, give them a message for their people. And then on Saturday, I pray, Lord, give them a message for themselves. Because if you're preaching week after week and you don't sense that message does something to you, then sooner or later, really you'll be to the place where you should find another line of work. And you know, today the Lord has given me a message for myself. I hope one for you too. This is a powerful passage of scripture. There are so many different ways we could look at this Luke chapter 13, this healing of a woman who had been bent over for 18 years because a spirit had taken control of her. It's one of the other illustrations where we see Jesus 
not only touching someone. In fact, the only time, as far as we know, I mean, the only time it's recorded, he touched someone who, who had been uh, taken control of by a spirit. And, and, but this is another one of those occasions where Jesus not only touched someone physically, but the writer tells us that he touched someone. Powerful passage of scripture. So many different ways we can look at it. I mean, one way to look at it was, uh, you know, what kind of spirit was it that had possessed this woman? In fact, some of the translations say an evil spirit, like she was demon-possessed. And that's one of the possibilities. I mean, what would have caused her to be unable to bend over for 18 years? And it's not a physical problem. It's somehow an emotional, spiritual kind of problem. So it's one way of looking at this passage of scripture. Um, and I believe that if it wasn't actual demon possession, it was what you might call demon oppression. Because every time our minds get a hold of our bodies in a way that they want to damage, destroy, or control our bodies in an unhealthy way, that comes from the evil one. I mean, he comes through so many different forces in our world, but that's not God's will. That's something the evil one does. So one way of looking at this passage of scripture would be to look at it through the eyes of, you know, how in the world did this all happen? And how was it that Christ could heal her so quickly just with a word? Another way of looking at this is, uh, you know, a big issue here is the Sabbath day. And the fact that these, I mean, the leader of the synagogue was just he was incensed to think that Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath day. It broke who knows how many rules, but big ones, or he wouldn't have gotten that angry. It's interesting to me how many times in the Gospels Jesus not only heals someone on the Sabbath day, but the gospel writer tells us specifically it was on the Sabbath day. I mean, something's going on here, or the gospel writers wouldn't talk about it so often. There are seven distinct miracles where Jesus healed someone, and the writer tells us it was on the Sabbath day. And several of them are recorded in more than one gospel. And in um, Mark chapter 1, after the healing of, um, of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, some of you remember that, we all just think that's a wonderful thing, that Jesus invaded that family in such a positive way. But afterwards, he healed many people, cast out many demons, all on the Sabbath day. So somehow, for some reason, this is very important to this text, and we could look at it through that sort of lens. Or we're in the middle of this uh, tug of war between Jesus and the religious leaders of his time. And they're trying to make sense of him, quite frankly. There are days that I'm quite sympathetic to the religious leaders, having been at times a religious leader myself. And I realize there are some of them that came out in the right place. Some of them became leaders in the Christian church. And what I see happening is Christ 
Christ is trying to touch their minds. Uh, you know, these miracles we've talked about since the beginning of Lent are, are miracles where Christ touches somebody's body and heals them, okay? But here in this interaction with the religious leaders, it's as if Christ, with the touch of love, is trying to touch the minds of these men and bring them out of a kind of a captivity that they had, they had become part of because of the religious system that surrounded them all around. All of those would be very good ways to look at this marvelous account. But the one that I've been drawn toward, I mean, really powerfully this week, uh, is, is described in the, in the uh, title we gave to the message, How to Be Religious and Miss God. Um, I think it's true. I mean, it's happening all over the world. You know, human beings are almost innately religious. Just without being taught to be. We want to worship some great power. And around the world, there are very religious people who are totally missing God. The part, though, that torments me is that that's also true in the Christian faith. Sylvia and I traveled the world with Free Methodist World Missions. One of the things that became so clear and really, really did, does, did and does torment me is that in many parts of the world today, people quickly and enthusiastically embrace Jesus Christ, but they will never call themselves a Christian. You say, that's impossible. No, it isn't. Because in their mind, Christianity is not about Jesus. It is represented by a very powerful, largely white, imperial power that would like, if it doesn't control the whole world, I mean, this is the way they look at it. I'm not saying it's always or even often the case, but the way they see it is that this powerful, largely white, imperial power wants, if it can't control the world, they want to influence every part of it for their own self-interest. And so, in many parts of the world, you can be a follower of Jesus, but you would never make yourself a Christian. I say to myself, something within me just aches that that is the reality, that often the biggest problem Jesus Christ has in terms of communicating faith is the biggest problem he has is this group of people that want to call themselves Christian, but want to limit Christ's influence in their lives. Look at this text with me. How is it that these people could be so religious and yet miss God. That's what was happening to them. You know, you can, you can be religious and miss God. First of all, be, if you value protocols, or we might call them rules, over persons. That's what was going on here. This synagogue leader, I still have to smile that he would get angry over this. Smile and ache inside. That the rule was so important 
to that synagogue leader. He felt so responsible to make sure the rule was followed that he couldn't enjoy the fact that a lady who hadn't been unable to look him in the eye for 18 years could now do that. Can you believe it? Doesn't it also sort of blow your mind? I think some of these stories, frankly, I've read so many times that I don't really get the full import of it at first. Oh, you say, we say, yeah, that did take place. But this is unbelievable. These were God's own people, the Jewish people, and they had gotten to the place where protocols or rules were more important than the people for whom the persons for whom those rules had been created to start with. I mean, many of you know, the, the extent to which these rules went was altogether ridiculous. I mean, on the Sabbath day, you couldn't work. Uh, that's one of the Ten Commandments. We should pay more attention to that Tenth Commandment, quite frankly, I'm convinced. But these leaders were not satisfied with simply saying to people, we don't work on the Sabbath day. They had to define quite carefully, 613 different ways, quite carefully what it meant to work on the Sabbath day. And so you could carry, but only so much. You could carry, but only so far. And if you carried within their limits, then you were okay. But if you broke, you went beyond the limit, you were not. And unbelievably, to heal someone on the Sabbath day was not within their limits. Now, this to me would be unbelievable, except a few times in life, I found myself in the place of the synagogue leader. I hopefully most of the time didn't say what I was thinking. Do you understand what I'm, where I'm going with this? Most of the time I did not say what I was thinking. Um, or God pulled me back just in time. But I'm a person that likes order. Most of us are people that like order. And if someone breaks the order, it's, it isn't easy to say that's all about a person. And in this case, the order doesn't make that much difference anyway. Um, some of us have been alive long enough, I have. So I've noticed how our protocols within the Christian community have changed through the years which alone and in itself makes me realize that these protocols, though important, I mean, they are important, they, they just pale in importance to the eternal destiny of even one human being or, or even one human being realize they're loved and included and, and we want them near us. The protocols are immensely important but we can't make them more important than the person, or we miss God. Now, when I say we miss God, I should very, very quickly say, I think a lot of us have put protocols more, than, more important than persons, and it's not like we, we don't have any faith in Jesus or saving faith in Jesus. I think God has such, God has such a big heart 
that he understands that we have responded to him in faith. We want to trust him as our savior, but we're just really messed up in this particular area and we're not helping other people there either. But what I mean by missing God is there's something powerful God wants to do. There's some part of the abundant life that he wants us to experience and we missed it because we have said that the protocol, the rule is more important than the person or, or we miss God even though we're very religious if we value possessions more than persons. You, you notice what Jesus said. I mean, I think really Jesus was, was just, he, he was just amazed at what was going on. He said, you know, you will take your donkey and you'll give them some water to drink on the Sabbath day. But you won't heal this person? You won't let me heal this person? Now, just so you know, you know, sort of full disclosure, the, the rabbis would let someone receive medical attention on the Sabbath day, but only if they die if they didn't get it. I mean, that's where they set the rules. So they weren't totally hard-hearted. So if it was true emergency, yes, you can get it. But if it just happens to be the day that Jesus is in the synagogue, then that does not qualify. And so Jesus said to these, this synagogue leader, who you noticed did not really speak to him, the synagogue leader, he was incensed at the woman who was really in some ways just the passive part of this, of, of this incident. He got angry with her. And then Jesus said to him, you know, you'll take care of your animals. Your possessions are more important than the persons that are around you. Um, I realize for me, and I think for many of us as Christians, knowing how to, to balance the value of the person and and the possessions that are ours is sometimes very, very difficult. Um, as you get older in life, you realize that you're probably wise to have something stored away when you get to the place where you can't take care of yourself anymore. That gets very expensive. And so it's possible to think that you have to store everything away. You know, I mean, that's how our minds work. One of the reasons I, I was so happy to have Arnie Brand share in one of our worship services is that the Free Methodist Foundation has been a significant part of my life in trying to figure out how you balance the value of your, your possessions, um, to take care of them in a way that is, you're a good steward. In other words, everything you have belongs to God, but keep it all in perspective. And so, um, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I think uh, we were in our mid-twenties, had, for the first time, had children, twins, come into our home, and another representative of the Free Methodist Foundation, so this was a while ago, it must be almost 50 years, the girls are now almost 50, uh, we had another representative of the foundation come into our home in upstate New York. Arden Reed was his name, godly man who had been pastor much of his life and then finished his sort of his career in this way and sat down with us to start with so we would have some help getting a will. And then to begin to say, okay, where do we 
You know, if we ever have enough that something might be left when we're gone, other than responsibility for our children, how do we, how do we manage all that? So it's a, a special blessing when I realize that our church is saying, you know, there are ways to work with this in a way that persons become more important than possessions. It's not to say that those possessions aren't something we should care for very carefully, but the, the person is always more important. So we miss God if we put possessions as more valuable. Or we miss God if we value position in life higher than persons. And for this part of the story, you actually have to go to the next chapter, chapter 14. You know, there's this ongoing tug of war between Jesus and these religious leaders. And at one point, he tells the story of this uh, a banquet. And uh, he's about ready to heal another person also and touches them actually in chapter 14 of Luke. And he says, you know, when you go into a banquet, don't, don't right away go to the head table. That may not be what's been set aside for you. And if you do, then you probably are going to be asked to go to another table because somebody else has already been assigned that seat. Most of us understand that, but maybe the higher place wasn't quite as obvious, or maybe he was talking to people that always went to the privileged place. That would have been true. Of the, of the rabbis. Jesus says, don't do that because you may be asked to go lower and that would really be quite an embarrassment to you. What's Christ trying to say here? He's saying, if you value the way people look at you, your position in life more than the people that you are serving, scribes and Pharisees, then you will miss something of what God wants to do through you, and it will be something that is irreplaceable. It is so, so very important. God says to us, it is so easy. We just get mixed up. In fact, I love the church. I mean, the institutional church. It has blessed me so much, largely through my family. Um, but I have realized that institutions have a way of wanting to self-preserve themselves. And so those of us for whom the church is very important, we're we must be vigilant that what we're doing institutionally in the church is really about people. That's the high value. And quite frankly, one of the things I love about First Church is that there are leaders here who get this. I'm not saying we do it perfectly all the time, but what I'm saying is there's a passion that people, not just people in the church, but maybe most importantly, people who are not yet in the church, that if they find Jesus and they find life in the church, everybody's going to be richer as a result. So if there are all these ways of missing God and yet being religious, how in the world do we make sure? I mean, you, could, you really can't just value other people and, and make sure you're going to find Jesus. It, there needs to be a, a kind of understanding of how Jesus works. Some time ago, I noticed someone's commentary on John 3.16, you know, this awesome verse that Jesus uses when he's talking to, uh, 
to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, and he was really trying to help Nicodemus get it. And where he says, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And, and this person commented on it, said it's so interesting because here we see God doing two things, and we, in order to experience God in our life, we do two things. God loved, God so loved the world, and God gave, that he gave his only begotten son. God loves, God gave. He's the great initiator. He's the one that provided the way. Then we do two things, that whoever believes, that means trusts him, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have receive eternal life. God loves, God gave. We believe, we receive. He's the great initiator. We depend on him. You know, if we live with that, there's another reminder that it's all about people. I mean, God sent his son that there would be a new heaven and a new earth also, but the whole point of it is so that his people would have a place, a destiny forever. Some time ago, uh, in one of the many missionary newsletters that I receive and read, because it's always a blessing and a great way to pray, I caught this account that just reminded me again of how important simply being Jesus to people is in our lives. And so often we don't see the impact of that. You, you know what I mean? I mean, we try to do what Jesus would do in each part of our lives, in our work life, in our family life, in our neighborhood life. And so often we don't even see how God uses it. But this, this account just reminded me of it. So th there's this couple. They're, they're missionaries from China. And they're on home assignment in Michigan. They have just they have just uh, adopted a child, international adoption, and they are waiting for the paperwork. Some of you know that uh, there's other kind of immigration paperwork that some folks from our own congregation are waiting for. It can go on and on and on forever. They can't go back until they get this paperwork for the child because the child can't travel internationally without it, passport and other things. And so they're anxiously waiting, praying, have their friends praying. And they get this letter from immigration. They're so hopeful when they read it. The first sentence says, you have been placed on our, on our expedited list. And their hopes rise. And then they read the rest of the paragraph, which says, you should hear something from us in 180 days or less. And it seemed to them that the emphasis was on the 180 days, not the less. And you know, they're just so discouraged about what this all means. They've got a call of God in another place. What are they going to do? The next day, they get a phone call from the immigration office in Miami, Florida. They're in Michigan. And the call says, we have an appointment for you to consider the paperwork for your adopted child. 
I mean, Miami, Florida, they're in Michigan. A lot of immigration offices in between, but they get in their car and they start traveling south. What is it, 20, 25 hours between the two places? Show up at the immigration office at the appointed hour. This uh, elderly gentleman, probably Asian, they're not sure, ushers them into his office and starts to take down all the information in order to fill out the forms. And as he works at it, he seems to be rather cumbersome on the computer. And he says, you know, sorry it's taking longer than it should. I just don't do this very often. And then after working for a while longer, he finishes off and he says, here's your paperwork, you're all set. Oh, how did that happen? So the woman, fortunately, has the presence of mind to say to him, Tell me, we got a letter yesterday saying it might be 180 days, six months before we'd hear anything more. Tell us, how did this happen today? And he says, um, I noticed that uh, you have some background at Asbury Seminary. Uh, does that mean you're missionaries? Yeah, yeah, we are missionaries. Well, he said, you know, uh, actually, I'm, I'm in charge of this office here in Miami. And I saw, I saw something about what you were trying to do. And I just flashed back to when I was a child in, in the Philippines. I think it was Manila, in a great city. And I was a street kid, a homeless street kid. And I really had no hope in life other than just another meal. But a missionary couple established a little ministry in that neighborhood and they took me under their wing, made it possible for me to go to school. And years later, I was ever able to emigrate to the United States. And it was all because of them. And I saw your paperwork and I just decided to help you out because I am what I am because of them. I think there's a good chance that missionary couple never would even know what took place. I mean, there's no connection. How many times in life we are called to be Jesus in a certain situation? And then there's no payoff for us. It's just being Jesus, putting people, putting a person ahead of possessions, ahead of protocols, ahead of position, ahead of anything. And Jesus just asks us to do it. And we do it, and we'll never know. But the beautiful thing is, every once in a while, we see this happening to someone else, and we realize it, something done for Jesus is never lost.